Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. Brian Siegler. What's up, buddy? We made it. We made it. It's made game it. week. It is game week. College football has kicked off. So before we do anything else tonight, a toast, a cheers. Here we go. To the beginning of the 2021 season. Yes, sir. Buddy, um, how was your day? <laughs> you heard about my day a few times. Man, it was pretty chill. It was pretty chill. I did get to come home early. Uh, I was in the office, but they said they were like, if you want to go work from home because of this whole potential tornado business, they were like, go ahead. I was like, okay. So I got here about a little after three and uh, finished up the last couple hours here. Nice, man. Um, as you know, midday, we lost power here in the West End for a little while. I don't know yeah. if it was four. We were uh, crossing our fake. You sent me the, the, the window. I was like, seven's a little close for comfort for a, uh, a window but it to worked. get this thing rolling. But, hey, shout out Dominion Power. Big shout out to Mini Power. They got it on within about an hour and a half after it went off. Um, oh, okay. So it, yeah. it was quick then. It was pretty quick. So I don't think it was anything storm related. I think it was who knows. Somebody, they've been doing work behind us with a, uh, like they're putting a sidewalk in to go up a deep run park. And my first thought was, even though it's rainy and crappy, were they out there working today? And like someone still- took the auger a little too deep into the ground. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, was it that? Was it uh, what was it? I don't know. But we lost power. We got it back. Then my wife came home with the with, with my middle child, and he was a little out of control today. But you know, all was <laughs> well, well. You know, as they are want to be. As they exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you know. This is it. We're at game week, guys, and we're going to look at a little bit of everything. We're going to look at the Hokies depth chart. We're going to look at Carolina. We're going to preview the enemy. We're going to do some picks later in the program. We're going to start with just a couple quick hitters tonight, and and kind of the first one's kind of funny, but we still should talk about it. Smithfield Meat Products is now the official sponsor of the Commonwealth Clash. Um, I mean, the, so the turkey bacon jokes write themselves, right? Yes, they did. The, the turkey bacon jokes write themselves. Um, anybody that read the SI article and all the stuff that was coming out leading up to uh, <laughs> last year, no, no, last no. year it was it was it was kind of it was interesting. Um, but overall, it's bacon. It's good sausage. If you don't have Smithfield for a nooner. At your 6 a.m. tailgate, you're probably not doing something right. I had some Smithfield tonight. We did breakfast for dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did breakfast for dinner. I did dollar taco night, man. After the day, everything. Always a good decision. Keep us taco dinner. Wednesday, hump day tacos. Nothing Rico, like that. Shout out Rico's Tacos in the West End. If you don't know, go there on Wednesday nights. $1 beef or chicken tacos, hard or soft. Maybe somebody from there. Also, like, Rico's Mechanicsville, same uh, deal. So. Same Wednesday? Ooh. Yeah. But it was, it's cool to see someone. It, it's actually, to me, it's cool to see Smithfield, someone in-state, sponsor the rivalry. You know there's going to be a little monetary 
coming into the pockets of both schools, which is always a plus. And again, it's a brand synonymous with Virginia, but it was just one of those funny things that we had to mention. We had to mention. Now, the other not funny thing, but really cool thing this week, Brian, I'm sure you read it just like I did. And if you see me turning my head, folks, I have Jacksonville State UAB up here. UAB is up 17 nothing. The line 16 half. I was like, take the 16 half, but Jacksonville State's doing nothing offensively. Back to what I was saying. Earlier this week, ACC Network announces Eddie Royal is going to be joining the ACC Network as part of the All ACC on Network Using Information Show. And he's going to do some weekly appearances throughout the season every Thursday. He's also going to do commentary on some ACC Network games. His first will be uh, Tech Middle Tennessee State. I mean, this is this. Go ahead. I was going to say good. That that's great for Eddie. Great for Virginia Tech, and good for the ACC Network. They absolutely needed to get more former players in on this thing. Yes, and. Getting someone from Virginia Tech in the building, in the studio, is a big deal. Getting someone from Virginia Tech is a big deal. It's a big deal for us, a big deal for the network. But also getting someone who spent nine years in the NFL. And, again, he was a phenomenal ACC performer when he was at Virginia Tech. So you're getting this guy who didn't just go one or two years in the NFL. He legitimately, between Denver and Chicago – I know I'm missing somewhere in there. He legitimately had a long NFL career. Yep. And, again, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see if they let Eddie interview people. You know, we, people have talked about Eddie's personality, never met him personally. But, like, Eddie had that personality just drawn to you. So, you know, it's awesome to see a Hokie get in there. And um, gonna be going to be interesting to see how he is from the booth. Um, Chargers. Thank you, uh, Jay Burns E4. You was somebody I was missing there. <laughs> All right, so let's roll on, Brian, and let's let's hit. Let's take a look at Virginia Tech. It was released midweek, the depth chart, and as we look at it here, Brian, we both pulled it up. Shout out Andy Bitter. That's who I'm pulling mine from. Um, let's first start with the offensive line. Just last week, on, um. The Hokie podcast, hosted by John Laser, Brad Cornelson came out and said, Letica Smith, Brock Hoffman, Caden Moore, Silas Danzi are our starters. Nothing changed in the next five or six days. Yep. How do you feel about this starting offensive line? Um, I, I feel good about it, especially from the run blocking standpoint. Um, the jury is still out on what the right side's going to do in terms of pass pro. Um, we know Silas has been up and down through his career in, in, in that regard. Haven't seen a whole lot of Caden, but we know Caden can fucking maul people. Um, <laughs> so uh, the the fact that he ended up climbing up the depth chart was a little bit of a shock, but I think is a good thing. And I think it's the potential that we saw in him, especially once we had a little bit of a, of a vacate at that position with yeah. Hudson and Nestor moving on. True. You knew that Caden Moore was at least going to be in the conversation there, and it looks like he kind of flat out won that job. Um, Silas was getting some run there. Um, I know they were looking at a couple other guys, but Caden locked it down. Yeah, we know Silas got run there because Tyrell started at right tackle. Um, and it looks like, you know, as, as it's been known with Vice to do, he's going to mix up the lines. 
he's going to mix up. I'm sure there were some weird combinations out there, probably some combinations that he had no business running. But again, <laughs> well, I just had just being truthful from what you hear from Vice. You're not wrong. He's trying to find his best five. And then when you look at the depth behind him, um, does it interest you that, you know, do you think Tyrell Smith and Parker Clements are legitimately the backups, or is this just one of those, well, we need to put different names here? So that's the big thing for me. Um, so let's talk about tackle first. Uh, more than likely, one of those two is probably going to be the primary swing tackle. If I had to put money on it, I'd say it's probably Ty Smith. Yeah. Uh, one tackle goes down, he's going in there, regardless of whether it's Tanuta on one side or Silas on the other. Um, now, when we look to the interior line, that's when it gets a little bit more hazy. I think that Johnny is going to be the primary swing guy, and then you're going to look at maybe Jesse Hansen um, being in there as well. So you're probably looking at a seven- or eight-man rotation like we're normally used to with Virginia Tech's offensive line under uh, Coach Vice. And I think those are kind of your your eight guys. It's going to be those starting five, uh, along with Jesse Hansen, Johnny Jordan, and uh, Tyrell Smith kind of yeah. rounding that out. Um, you know, you got you got a Jack Hollyfield slated in as the number two right guard, but four people are going to have to get injured before you see him hit the field, yeah. even as currently constructed. So, yeah. um, there, there's unless all five starters go down at one time, you're not seeing Jack Hollyfield. You're not seeing um, Jack Hollyfield, but all. It, it does say something that he's already you know making some noise um, at the interior offensive line as well. Though I think long term, we're probably looking at him as more of a center than a guard. True. That's kind of what the, the, the stuff is, the information that's coming out that he probably is looking at taking that path to center. Um, Johnny Jordan being the primary backup for center, um, versus right guard. I think that tells a little more because I think if something were to happen, I think Johnny would go to center because I think Brock can play either of those guard positions a lot better. I th- yeah. Yeah. Brock would probably slide, um, and then. Next man up, if, if two interior goes down, it's probably going to be Jesse Hansen. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something in the past that you believe that if Brock slid to any guard position, he wouldn't be the center calling the plays, but he would be calling from wherever he is on the line if he's on the interior. More than likely, you get a better point of view from the center position. Um, so that's the ideal situation. But – I think they would they would rather go with comfort of the position and comfort of the blocks, which would which means putting Johnny in there at center yeah. over one hundred percent having that vision to make all the right calls. Um and I and Brock, I think he's he's done this enough and he's 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 got the the mental capability to get it done even if he's not, not quite getting the point of view that he'd like to have from the the center position. Absolutely. All right, let's jump next. Um were you happy to see the way the six positions are with the wideouts? The six guys at the wideout positions. Um, does anything sort of – oh, he's grinding his teeth. I, the, I mean, the, the thing I would have liked to see is I'd like to see Jaden Payute um, beat out Caleb Smith. For the wide. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's no knock on Caleb Smith, but I feel like we've kind of we've we've seen what Caleb's capable of we haven't seen what Jaden's capable of what his ceiling is going to be i'd like to see him get enough run to really show what he is or is not capable of 
you know what I think it is? I know there was the reports that he had a slight tweak. I think that's more of he did not get the time to win the wide slot. And that may be true, and especially for a guy that's switching positions and a guy that hadn't played receiver before coming to Virginia Tech. Um, yep. Yeah, I think I think he's still probably come along in the offense. He probably needed the reps to, to get where he needed to be. So, so you're probably right there. I'm sure you know losing reps, losing time. Um, you know, Caleb's been you know pr- pretty much uh, handling you know that role for a while now. So. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of go with the guy that's a little more, a little more seasoned. Absolutely. It's also it's great to see Jalen Jones and Dwayne Lofton as the two deep at the X and at the slot. You've heard we continue to hear and we've heard really good things about these guys. Really good things and seeing them as the two deep, as me and you have talked about in the past, you're talking great about them. Are you going to put them on the field? I'm hoping that since they're in the two deep and they have been, been talked up for the last month, this means they're going to have some run out there at some point during Friday's game. That's my hope, and especially with uh, Dewan Lofton, because with with Tay Robinson, yeah, he's he's got the starting slot position, but more than yep. likely, he's they're going to move him all over the the offense. Um, so you you might have some scenarios where he's on the field with Dewan Lofton. You might have some. Um, situations where he's just playing in the slot, and uh, you got either Caleb or Jaden out on the the outside with Trey. So I think they'll mix it up um, because so. because Tay does give them that flexibility. Uh, but I definitely want to see those freshmen get some run this year, and it's nice to see two guys that we targeted in the last class come in, make a name for themselves quick, and they're already you know creasing the two deep. Absolutely. Um, before we jump over to the defensive side of the ball, we're not going to talk about tight end. We're going to talk about quarterback. Those are pretty much entrenched positions. Um, that's the best running back depth chart I've ever seen. Not a 1A and 1B, a 1A, B, and C. Brian, how angry will you be if you do not see some form of combination of Dalen Holston and Raheem Blackshear or Keyshawn King and Raheem Blackshear on the field at the same time, Brian? Yeah, I mean, we got to get we got to get Blackshear on the field a good amount, and not just as a spellback. I I think he's going to be fine as a spellback, but you can't just use him as a spellback. That was my criticism for most of 2020. That's going to be my criticism if we don't come out with plays to get him involved in the game that aren't just inside zone and outside zone. So we need to find a way to get him the ball outside of those traditional run plays that we call. Um, Keyshawn King is who I love seeing in there. Um, yes. Especially they, after yeah. after kind of how 2019 wrapped up for him, how the offseason went, how 2020 went for him. Seeing him back in that three-man rotation at running back is big, and I hope that he has a good year because I feel like he can bring a lot of different things to the table that we don't have in the other two backs in that 3D. Especially the explosiveness that he has. Yeah. All right, let's flip over to defense, Brian, for a second here. Um, you know, a couple positions. I mean, defensive end, no, no question. That kind of is what it is. Uh, defensive tackle, um, kind of again is what it is. But I'm going to look at this one first. Let's okay. look at boundary safety. Okay. We have been hearing Tay Daly is going to be doing a dual role. Hey Daly's name does not appear as the boundary safety 
primary backup is Lazier Peoples. What does that say to you about what's going on with that position? So if we're following the same logic that we followed with offensive line. <laughs> okay. It, it's almost like once a guy's name is put in one position, he's not going to be put in another position. Even though on offensive line, we know that if right guard goes down, more than likely we're seeing Johnny Jordan at one position or the other. Yep. Or Brock Hoffman sliding over. That's not how it, like this isn't Madden. We're not setting it up where we're stacking our two deep with, you know, the starter at another position or the, the backup at another position. We're, we're, you know, you, you're not all, you're, you're not starting your entire second string from guard to, to guard with the best second string guy you got on the interior line there. I think the same is playing here. Uh, Tay Daly probably is going to be that kind of swing safety, that third safety uh, that's going to operate in both. Some of the giveaway with that is that you've got Jalen Stroman as kind of the the or at the at the free safety position. Um, so that that tells me that he's coming along there as well. But I, I mean, Nasir Peoples is in there as well, and he's he. Um, I'd like to see what he can do, get on the field, and and, and get some time as well because uh, I think he's got a lot of potential there as well. The question for me with Devin Hunter is, is Devin Hunter going to be conditioning-wise, football-wise, where he needs to be to absorb the amount of snaps he'll, he'll have, have to endure yeah. as a starter? Yep, that's going to be a biggie there. Um, the other thing that caught the eye was free safety. Jalen Strom is the or. Um, I think me and you already talked about it. We thought he was going to see definitely – probably not going to get a red shirt. Probably going to be on a ton of special teams. Obviously going to get some on at free safety now. Yeah, I mean, I was I was calling that out the gate. I was like, this guy's going to probably see some some time this year. Um, it, he was at least going to use every snap of his four games if he wasn't going to, um, you know, have to burn the red shirt. So here we are. He ain't red shirt. He ain't. Red. I think he's too talented. <laughs> I think he's already built. I think he's ready to play. Um, he's, he's got the body. He's ready to play. He's he's practiced significantly with NFL NFL players. caliber players. Um, <laughs> So, true. You know, it's true. All right, let's look at next. And I'm trying to figure this because, as we talked about, we're not putting our four best players on the offensive line. Linebacker looks completely opposite. Where we were seeing McCray from Marshall, the Marshall transfer, talked about as being the potential backup to backer. Lo and behold, this pops out, and it's the more seasoned, it's the more veteran, it's the unlikely backer fit in Keyshawn Artist. What is yeah. that? Um, well, I think I'll I'll tell you what I think it says, and that and that's based on something I've I, I heard um, okay. later in the week as it went along is that we're working McCray a little bit at defensive end. Ooh. So if we're working McCray at defensive end, then more than likely, you know, <laughs> we're gonna look at Dean backing up uh, Dax and Keyshawn backing up. Uh, Tisdale, that's going to be interesting. I, I did. I think the the Dean thing doesn't shock me. Uh, I think as you were alluding to the the Keyshawn artist backing up Alan Tisdale is a little more shocking. Yeah. Um, you know, Keyshawn's a little bit of a of the more bigger linebacker. You would think he would be a little better fit uh, on the interior, but it sounds it, it sounds like Dean's really stepped up, and um, it sounds like Keyshawn they they at least trust him enough to be able to handle the athleticism required of that position to at least be that, that uh, too deep at, at backer there. 
Absolutely. All right, let's flip back to the secondary real quick. We're not questioning Tamari Connor. Tamari Connor gets the 25. He's obviously the primary nickelback. But let's look at corner because I think coming into this, I think me, you, and probably the rest of Hokie Nation were thinking Jermaine's back, Jermaine's healthy. He's won. That's the case. We also thought Dorian Strong had one hell of a campaign last year, freshman All-American. He's, yes. he's definitely two. Armani Chapman, for the coaches, for the reports, has had his best camp since he's been at Tech. And he is essentially the 1B with Dorian yep. Strong. Awesome for Armani. I think awesome for that room. That That's huge. Um, I, I like that. I mean, Armani's always had the ability. It was a little bit of the consistency, I think, that he was missing in his game and some of the early snaps he was getting. Um, particularly look at last year, he'd have one really good play and then he'd back it up with a play that, you know, he wasn't quite where he needed to be or didn't make the play. Um, so if, if he can get some consistency in his game, the sky's the limit because he's got he's got all the ability. Good size, um, 5'11", 205. You know, you like that size. He's, he's big enough to jam you, but he... He also has the athleticism to run with you, so I'm hoping for big things for him, and, and I'm sure some of that. I mean, I know I know Dorian did well last year, but Dorian's probably still going to need another year to get the size that you'd like him to have. Yeah, to be kind of an every down corner. Absolutely. Anything else between either depth chart catch your eye over the last couple of days that you want to? Um, you know, I mean, we we've already talked about it a little bit, but we're a little. Little little antsy about Eli Adams being our number two uh, defensive end on the left side behind Amari Barno. Um, you know, not knocking him, just size wise, it's a concern. Um, you got weight only two thirty five. That's not the bad part. The bad part is he's coupling that with a height of five eleven, which really doesn't match the scheme that we're trying to run now. Yeah. Um, so so that's a little concerning, but it is. It is. But, but I think a little bit later on in the episode, Brian, we're going to get into a few things with if we talk about Carolina, about what we're going to do and things me and you've discussed potentially could happen with the defensive line. All right, before we move on, let's go ahead and take a look. The team captains, Brian, I don't think any is a shot. We have tight end James Mitchell, linebacker Docs Hollyfield, Tamari Connor, number 25 this week, Brock Hoffman, and Terrell Smith. I think you have a great balance. Oh, we have a prediction right that. I don't know if we can use that one. <laughs> She's hedging. You can't hedge. You gotta <laughs> give us one. We'll, we'll, we'll write it down for later in the episode. Um, but I think you get a good mix of you have your dogs, right? Yep. Your dogs. You have your dogs. You kind of have your old guard and Ty Smith. And then you sort of have the governor. The governor. <laughs> the governor. And James Mitchell. So you have this wide variety of leadership. You have Jamari, who's a little quieter. Brock and Dax, the dog's real loud. Although Jamari is quiet, he's a dog as well. And then you have, it's like this, it's a good blend. It's not everybody's like James Mitchell, very considered the governor, and everybody's not wild and crazy getting 15-yard penalties after plays. No offense, Jock Hoffman, but, you know. You you got your old head, Ty Smith, making sure everybody gets their fiber. I mean. 
puts on their bands, their uh, their copper tones. Um, but any shots with anybody on here? No shock. I mean, that that, that was pretty straightforward move by by the Hokies. So nothing to really comment on. But you know, pre- sometimes predictable responses are good. Very nice. Um, Brian, it's Orange Effect Week. They released the jerseys about two hours ago. Did they get it right? Yes. They absolutely got it right. <laughs> White helmets, orange jerseys, orange pants. Let's do this. They did get it right. It looks good. It's an orange effect. In our, we are maroon and orange. Chicago maroon, to be specific, and orange. It needs to be orange on orange effect. You don't need to have a maroon helmet on orange effect games. The white helmet is good with the obviously. What are we upsetting Tally for? Tally, he, he's he's saying that yeah. they they made this move so we don't upset Tally. Yeah. No, I'll take so, t- t- Tally was definitely uh, fl- oh, flying the orange flag for sure. He was definitely, but I think what it is is you're seeing a more. I think there's some people internally that were getting inside the locker room that is seeing the stuff and say, why are we wearing orange effect, white pants, orange jersey, maroon helmet? That makes no sense. So to me, they got it right. Um, you know, the thing is, as I look in my closet, I don't think I have a maroon effect t-shirt or an orange effect t-shirt or an orange hokey shirt at all. So um, make a purchase, dude. What? I don't know. It's all my life. Always bought, you know, the maroon and orange. It's always just been like that, man. <laughs> All right. So, guys, before we get into our main topic tonight of taking a look at the enemy UNC, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. All right, big guy, let's start it off here. We are going to take a look at the UNC offense first. And before you can say anything about the UNC offense, you have to start with Sam Howe. Projected first-round pick for next year. A guy who in his two seasons of starting, 68 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 64% completion percentages. Um, One-and-one record against the Hokies. Last time he stepped in lane was the epic overtime game that he did lose. Yep. And, Brian, as I was going through some of the stats and data, uh, I, I looked at the PFF chart. And as I started looking at the PFF chart and kind of talking with you, I started noticing a trend. If I looked at the left side throws for Sam Howell, that is his primary. He was above average, super red, which means he's making those throws. They're getting big plays. It was impressive because on the left side, it wasn't just the 0 to 10. It was the 10 to 20 and even further down the field. Excellent going to the left side. And then you kind of go over the middle of the field, the 5 to 12-yard range, really, really good, really good. Get beyond 12 yards, though, he starts becoming average to below average on those fields in the middle of the field between the hashes. Caught my eye. Obviously, me and you had a conversation about it. But before we get to all of it, there's that last piece. I look to the right side. And, buddy, that thing was a lot of white to average and a lot of blue, below average. So I'm going to give you this. What is this telling us about Sam Howe? 
Is it saying – what do you think it's saying? Because one side field, he's killing it. Then you go to the middle, he does okay past a certain yardage. And then on the right side, good Lord, it's ice cold. Well, if you looked at the tape, um, the way they aligned uh, Dayami Brown last year, he was primarily on the left-hand side of the offensive formation. So when they were striking downfield, they were doing so more effectively where Diami Brown was lining up. Okay. So that, that that's one piece of it. And he was the primary deep threat. So that's why you're seeing plays further down the field have more effect on that side. So that, that that's the big thing with that. You know, the question that we're going to be talking about is, you know, Sam Howell, I mean, even if he repeats what he did last year, that's a, that's going to be a damn good campaign for that team, right? Yeah. So um, I don't necessarily think that there's areas of concern for him, um, but we'll see if having a little bit more of a balanced receiving core uh, may end up either negatively or positively impacting kind of where those where those throws were going compared to last year and what the effectiveness of those throws are. All right. So you mentioned the left side and the deep. What about the middle? Why was it 5-12? to 12? It looks like he was killing, but it didn't get much further than that. Is that something to do with possibly Daz? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, Daz was primarily working um, from the slot, working underneath. Um, they weren't running a bunch of seams or posts from the slot with him. It was a lot of corners, ends, digs, um, essentially man beaters. Uh, okay. They, they were running a lot, a lot of, a lot of routes like that. We saw um, some some problems that that created uh, for Chamari Connor in last year's game before he, um, you know, got the uh, got got the kick out there. So um, we'll see if they're able to do that with uh, with another guy we're talking about here in a little bit, uh, replace some of that production, but. Yeah, that, that's why Hal is so effective, though, is because he, when he identifies and has a good relationship with a target, he can hit them effectively down the field. Um, but underneath, he kind of peppers everybody, even though um, a guy like Daz Newsom was doing some special things in getting open and getting some of those releases that gave him a big window to get the ball in there. All right. So we now, essentially, we effectively get to see on Friday night the importance of Daz, the importance of Diami in that chart. Um, and even more so that it was announced earlier this week that the most experienced returning starter for UNC, Bo Corrales, is out. Yep. He is um, out for this game. Um, and that that's going to be a big thing in terms of kind of those third downs uh, and in the red zone because Bo Corrales isn't necessarily – breaking away big time down the field, but he is the stick mover. He's the guy getting those hard yards um, outside the, the hashes there, um, running those slants, get, having a big body to be able to um, get position against smaller corners, some of those safeties. Um, so not having him in there definitely takes some of that size mismatch out of uh, this wide receiver core. Oh yeah, um, we we probably won't have as much um, in terms of physicality uh, mismatch anymore there. No. So, I mean that that that's helpful for the Hokies. We'll see if they're able to take advantage of it though. 
Absolutely. He's 6'3", he's 205. He was having a good season last year before he got injured. Um, so, if anything, it's one of those bright, I hate to say a bright spot for the Hokie, that someone who's been on that stage in that stadium multiple times is not there on the field. Now, let's go ahead and look at, you know, Copry Brown. Because Dami's little brother got to go in and replace Big Brother's production from last year. And, I mean, you know, he backs it up. He was a four-star out of Charlotte. He's a four-four-nine speed guy out of the 40. You know, had some plays last year, 15 for 337. His big game was against Wake Forest, where he got three for 76 and a couple touchdowns. Can he replace Big Brother's 2,800 yards? That's gonna that's to be seen. Um, from a physical standpoint, I mean, he's every bit of the athlete as his brother. Um, probably a hair faster in, at the top end. Um, we'll see if he's got that game breaking um, route running that uh, Dayami brought to the table. Yeah. Um, word is though that he he is questionable or at least limited, potentially limited for this game. Um, so we'll see how much we see of him. Um, he's actually listed um, kind of as the uh, the number two um, this week, and I think that has something to do with them not one hundred percent sure whether he's ready to go. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he's able to to play a significant amount of snaps, enough snaps to to really show us, um, you know, what he's got. Well, I think something you mentioned to me. And this is this is coming from Brian, so I'm going to give you credit for it, Brian. You say about that lower body injury. What we're going to probably find out quick is if he's able to make those lateral cuts. Can he still run slants? Can he still run quick moves? Or if he's just going to be a fly and a go guy, or maybe a post. If you yeah, see and some that, of that's going to depend on what what the injury is. If it's like a hammy, uh, that's actually going to be harder to go that top end. But if it's if it's something joint related, then you're then you're looking at um, you know planning and cutting is going to become a problem. So it really kind of depends on what that lower body injury is. Um, but we'll probably find out pretty quick if he gets on the field for a series what what those limitations look like. Yep. I think either way, though, Brian, it takes out a dynamic of their offense. If it's the hammy and you lose that four four nine speed to go downfield, you know, Tommy Brown killed people last year. And if it you can does limit, it, it limits what he he would be able to do if if it's the hammy, and he can't get top end on us. Um, that will limit kind of what the tools that he brings to the table, if you will. Absolutely. Um, now, obviously, Daz is gone. You got Josh Downs. And now the way it looks, Josh Downs is kind of going to have to be that guy on Friday night. Um, you know, he's primarily going to be working out of the slot. He's definitely a talented kid. But, you know, that's a, that's a lot to ask um, for his first game out of the gate. Yeah, and I'll say this about Downs. The, the difference between Downs and – and Daz, Downs has a little bit more of that over-the-top big playability than, than Daz did, whereas Daz was really good in and out of breaks, in and out of cuts, um, running routes. Um, Downs can hurt you kind of both ways. So it'll be interesting, as we talked about earlier, with you know kind of where Sam Howell likes to go with the football. Is he going to 
end up stretching the seam a little bit more for the Carolina offense this year, or is it going to be kind of more of what we saw from uh, from Daz Newsom last year? Um, yeah. But he's definitely going to be the guy that can break the game open for um, North Carolina against the Hokies on Friday. Yeah, so what it's going to really be interesting to see is, is it because who Daz was they did not take those shots, basically 15 yards downfield in the middle, or is it something – and you don't feel like it's something with how, or is it something with how maybe that section of the field is just not what he likes to go to? I hope it's the latter, not the former, because, <laughs> <laughs> because that that's much better for the Hokies all around. All right, so we've kind of cleared the wide receiver room. Um, and, you know, they ran over a depleted Virginia Tech team last season. You're right, T-O-O-S-M. But the reason they did that is they had – Two NFL running backs who were taken in our draft last night, Brian Carter in the seventh round, I believe. I believe our buddy Mike took him. Yeah, um, that 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 backfield is going to be a cluster, though. It's going to be hard to see who, who's the clear lead. It's there. true, but he's got the potential, and you see him and Williams both in the league now. Oh yeah, but they, but they bring in Ty Chandler, Tennessee transfer to replace him. Third in Tennessee all-purpose yards, Brian. Now, Brian. Before you get into his game analysis, watching the film, I did a statistical breakdown, Tell and I've got to share it with you. All right, so how many times do you think Ty Chandler, who's third in all-purpose yards, has carried the ball 15 times or more when he was at Tennessee, which is over 45 games? What, two, three? Actually, nine. He's carried the ball 15 or more times, nine times. Okay. In those games, he carried it for 166 carries, 786 yards, 4.7 a carry. I know it's Tennessee. I know they have been down for basically since they fired full film or 15 years ago. That doesn't jump to me. His biggest game he had in that stretch was when they played BYU and he had 26 carries for about 154 yards. His biggest game in general was against UTEP where he had 12 for 181. One was on an 81-yard touchdown run. I know he's got talent, but it seems to me when he would get that 15-yard threshold, it would not be the five to five and a half yards per carry you're looking for out of a workforce back. What'd you see on the tape? Yeah. I mean, some of that's the fact that he was a true rotational player um, with okay. Gray in the backfield last year, primarily. Um, they were pretty much alternating series. So some of that can be, you know, is, is he more of a rhythm back? We'll, we'll you know, in stats say maybe not. Um, if, if he's getting the more carries he's getting and we're not necessarily seeing a big jump up in production, um, is, is he going to be a guy that's stepping into Williams and Carter's role or is he going to fill primarily just Williams role? Because what I see is that he's a good runner. Um, running style probably is a little, little bit more like Carter, um, Good vision. He likes to cut it back. Um, pretty decent patience, but he doesn't have that kind of game breaking, um, 
talent in the running game against quality competition. You mentioned UTEP, but I mean, that's UTEP. Uh, you're supposed to do that against UTEP. If you know, show, show me you breaking a 50 yarder against, uh, you know, SEC schools. And I'll say, okay, let's, let's have a conversation. Um, but I didn't see a, a ton of big plays from him. I saw a, a, some, some good vision and some solid yards, a couple negative plays. He's really fluid in the pass game though. Catches the ball. Right. Well, gets up field, uh, makes guys miss in space. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about his blocking here. So when he's chipping, when he's helping, when it's designed, he does uh-huh. a good job. When he's got to pick up blitzes, all bets are off. Oh, <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> because we blitzed about one every three plays last year with Jay Ham's defense. So, I mean. I saw him whiff a couple times. I saw him get the wrong read a couple times. So, I mean, there's definitely potential there to, to get him confused if he's blocking for Sam Howell. Now, the, the difference between what Tennessee was doing and what uh, UNC does is that they're a little bit quicker with the trigger in that RPO. Okay. So the ball's, the ball's out a lot more fluid than it was for Tennessee last season. Gotcha. Now, one thing you just mentioned, and I think probably maybe what he is going to satisfy, is Carter and Williams you know, combined for about 550 receiving yards last year. And maybe that's what he is. Maybe he takes that element. That's his element. With I don't I, I can't foresee this guy. I can't foresee right now this guy getting fourteen hundred yards. I, I mean, I he he might replace one of their production. I don't foresee him coming in and putting up a Khalil Herbert type season. All right. Well, for, for the twelve hundred and eleven hundred yards last year yeah. on on both under one hundred and sixty carries. That's where they kill people. It wasn't, it was, they split that backfield perfectly. They both averaged over seven a carry. Yep. And I see, I, I, well, they were seven. explosive and efficient. And I think that's, yep. that's the thing is that, you know, I think when you bring in a Ty Chandler, you'll get the efficiency. I don't know if you're going to get the explosion night in, night out. We'll see. And we'll see if maybe some of their younger backs, again, they've got talent and they come out and quickly step to the plate. And again, between the running backs and the wide receivers, replacing career 10,000 scrimmage yards, which is insane. Yep. All right, Brian, I'm not even going to go too much on this guy. Seam Richard, the left tackle, anchor in the line. What do you see on the three-star? I see kind of a slightly better version of Luke Tenuta. Okay. Slight, slight. They remind me a lot of each other. Uh, pretty solid in, in in the run game. I'd say very very much above average uh, to you know borderline good, borderline great, I should say. Um, pass pro is hit or miss, um, and a lot of it depends on how well Richards gets a set and that first punch. Um, when he does well. He, he, he gets those first two steps in there. He locks you down. He does a good job of staying in front of the man once he stopped that initial burst. Um, he is susceptible to the speed rush. It is, if he misses the punch, it's very much an Ole situation. Um, we, we saw that how thankfully for them gets the ball out quick, but they took a lot of sacks last year. 
Um, yeah. Not, and that's not knocking Richards. I mean, I think he's a he's a very solid left tackle, but I think you know there are some holes in this game. I think we can exploit, especially with Amari Barno. Absolutely. And Brian, as we were looking through data tape, um, me and you looked back to the Notre Dame game last year when Carolina then hooked up in late November. And in that game for Notre Dame, a gentleman by the name of Adetokumbo Ogudanesio, six foot five, 260 pounds, two sacks, two tackles for loss. I know you looked a little bit of that tape. Does he remind you of Barno a little bit? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> um, and, and, and that wasn't a, a great game for, for Richards. Uh, and overall, it wasn't a great game for that offensive line. No. When we talk about the offensive line in general, um, yeah, they had really good games against us and a couple other guys last year, but they were, they were very much a steady to up and down line at other points of the season. So they're, they are veteran. They know they, they've played with, with each other a lot. They've got a lot of snaps under their belt, but they're not elite at any individual position across that board. Uh, right now, their experience and the system that they're in is their biggest attribute. And I think they did a good job of taking advantage of a very depleted secondary and overall defense for the Hokies last year. And I think while you may not see some elite-level defensive play against UNC, you're going to definitely see some improvement. Absolutely. And again, the big part was the, the sacks last year. They were like 105th in the nation giving up sacks. Um, and you know, we got pass rush last year. We just couldn't stop the band run. And I think that'll be key for us this year. And so B gap. I'm, I'll say it again. B gap. You could drive a bus through it on like 60% of the damn rush, rushing plays last year. It was ridiculous. Some of it was, it looked like just not getting in the right gap. Linebackers, sometimes a safety. Um, I watched one play where it looked like two people had, had, had spill responsibilities on the same side. And then somebody <laughs> else took a gap and the B, like there's B gap just wide open there. I'm like, what, what are y'all doing? You gotta, it doesn't matter if you if you if you're gonna get the spill if you don't plug up B cap they're just gonna run right up the middle of the damn defense, and we got safeties back there that have played like thirty snaps in their damn career. Walk-ons, yeah, walk-on safeties back there, and it, it, I think that's the key. Uh, I mean, as we get into it, and we'll do our predictions in a while here, though. It's it's gonna be how they run the ball. It's why we focused on Ty Chandler. Um, but we're gonna look at this, Brian. And we talked about it just a little bit earlier. We talked about the defensive alignments. We know we're a little thin at defensive end. So me and you started chatting. And we started chatting about that potential. And it was said by someone, maybe it was Ham, getting caught our ear, about potentially Jordan Williams and Norrell Pollard potentially having the versatility to play in. Now, folks, when we say play in, we're not talking about them playing outside of the tackles shoulder, like Amari Barno and Taiwan Garber. Brian, explain what we're thinking about them doing when they have someone like a combination of Barno, Fuga, 
Kendricks, and Norrell Pollard on the field. You're going to see a bigger line. Um, you're probably going to see probably going to see that go towards the strength of the formation in most cases. Um, if, if they're going to go heavy, you're going to have that uh, that D tackle that's that slide out. They'll be they'll be towards the towards the tight end. Um, they're probably going to be heads up on the tackle. Um, probably given two 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 gap responsibilities in this case. Um, if, if we end up going that way just because of their size and, and, and the need there. Um, but what we're looking at is that gives a little bit more flexibility and D-tackle. Um, the question becomes, for that to work and for how Bill Tierlink likes to substitute um, lines on the D-line, uh, you're going to have to have a Max Philpot play significant snaps for you because now you're one of your second line uh D tackles is getting, you know, potentially a lot of snaps out there at DN. Um, so a guy like Max Philpot's probably going to have to play a significant amount of snaps in order to, to accommodate that. All right. So there's that defensive lineman thing we were talking about, guys, about potentially one of the defensive tackles who had that capability. It's the five technique, Brian, right? Yep. Five technique. Playing the five technique. For folks who are, if you want to get an idea of what this looks like, and this is what I'm going to revert you to, go look at the San Francisco 49ers defense of the last few years under Robert Sala, the New York Jets' current defense. If you really want to get the most unequivocally great version of it, go both back at the Legion of Boom when they were running cover three and cover three buzz with Cam. They essentially had a big defensive end. It was more of a defensive tackle right over one of the tackle positions. And then they'd have someone at like the eight or nine technique wide. And the goal of it is that's where the pass rush is coming from. We have a quick interior guy that can get up through your guards. But our goal is you're not going to run the ball. We're going to stop you from running the ball. And if you do, we know where you're going to attempt to run the ball. And we're going to have athletic linebackers get into those gaps. So go back with those tapes. That's our thought process. Now, Brian, we've already discussed the receivers, and me and you went into the coverages. When I gave you this data, you screamed something at me, and I'm going to let you scream it again. Brian, last year, 60% of the time, Virginia Tech played a cover three, a cover four, a quarters. What do you think we're doing against Carolina? We're going cover six, quarters to the left as much as possible. <laughs> and why are we doing this? Uh, because we're trying to take away where Sam Howell likes to go deep with the football. And if you take away where Sam Howell likes to go deep with the football, you're not going to get railroaded. He might beat you by a thousand cuts. But when you have to make a thousand cuts, you can eventually miss. You can eventually make a mistake. Look at look at the scores, the, the majority of the scores last year. It was big plays in the running game, big shots to the Diami Brown. Yep. That That's was it. like what, twenty eight or thirty five of their points? <laughs> let me let me get the old score up here. Let me effort it real quick. Because I had it up there a few minutes ago. This is efforting in real time. They were eight and four last year. They consider that one of their greatest seasons of all time. Don't forget that, folks. That was one of their greatest seasons of all time. Time, All right, here we go. 
Diami Brown, 37-yard pass. Diami Brown, 43-yard pass. They were both touchdowns. 55, oh, whoa, Michael Carter, 62-yard run. So 21 of their 56 points were big play scores. 30 yards or more. That's not even counting the numerous times they broke midfield on us with 20-plus yard runs. So the goal here is, Brian, let's just say it, quarters take away the deep and fill friggin' B-gap. If we just somewhat fill it, it's going to be a little better than last year. Honestly, if 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 everyone's in a gap and our safeties and and outside guys are in the spill lanes the way they need to be, just just getting there is half the battle. That was a big problem last year. We weren't fucking there. No, <laughs> it was terrible. Wasn't that we we were we weren't making the plays? We weren't even fucking there. Yeah. All right, Brian. Well, let's flip. Let's go to the other side of the ball because as much as we want to not and. All crap. And I know it was a lot of Hendon Hooker. We scored 45 points on this defense last year. Yep. It would have been more if there were several calls. We're not going to go into that play because I've talked about it about 6,000 times in the last nine months. But let's start the defense. <laughs> let's start the defensive line. Let's start with the two Fox brothers. You got Tamari, 6'1, 290, three store out of Georgia. Last year, 46 tackles, six tackles for loss, four sacks. His brother, Taman, is the outside linebacker. Also three-star, 6'3", 260, completely different body type, different style, 36 tackles, 10.5 for loss, 7 sacks. What do each of them bring to the table? And let's start with Tamari, the bigger of the two. Uh, he's got a motor for a big guy, um, and th- that's what scares me. Um and I, if if I had to pick a poison with this too, uh, Tamari is, is scarier to me, and that's only because he's going to do a good job of containing some of our run game, but he's also going to impact the pass game with that motor. Um, now, in terms of just being afraid of our quarterback taking a hit and potentially getting injured, Tamon Fox, man. He's got he's got speed, good combination of size and speed. Um, kind of play. I mean, they they've got that. You know, it's the two four five. Uh, it's it's a hybrid defense. Um, you know, a lot of times Timon Fox is out there standing up. Sometimes he's a stand up edge rusher. Sometimes he's just an outside linebacker. Sometimes he's got his hand in the dirt. They they will switch up their alignments the entire game. So you got to be ready for it. And Tamari is the player that scares me, but the versatility of Timon Fox and how he can kind of do a lot of different things for that defense is why he's such a valuable asset for them. Absolutely. And obviously folks, we, you know, we check in with our buddies who coach and everything like that. And our buddy, Robbie Compton, who was, you know, back there in our camp episode, Hit him up tonight for a little while, and he said, "Keep an eye on the other, on the younger defensive ends." He Sean Silver, and I looked up Silver. He was a top thirty player last year, four star, six three, two hundred eighty five pounds. That sounds like he is a Tamari Fox clone, just about. So it's another name. I don't know if we'll we'll see him this year where he is on the depth chart, but just one of those guys. All right, Brian, let's roll from the defensive line. To the linebacking core. 
And, you know, they are having to play replace Chase Surratt. 91 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, six sacks, an interception. I mean, he essentially, what he did, he essentially, you better, he you better recorded that tally, okay? He essentially <laughs> was the quarterback of that defense, much like he had been the quarterback um, previously. He's got to be replaced, Brian. And unfortunately, yep. he's being replaced by a guy we took way too much interest in just a few years ago in Eugene Asante out of Westfield, the four-star here in Virginia. So they came in the state, took a top-ten player. Shit we've been talking about for the last few years. Keep the top-ten guys in state because he would be having to do something in our defense this year if he was still here. But, Brian, he had five games last year playing 24 tackles. The amount of production he has to replace is insane. So what does he have to do to become – I mean, I'm not saying replace Chase, right? I don't think you replace that. But become efficient enough to where it doesn't hurt their defense. So he's he's re- also replacing production but also the quarterback of the defense, which is ironic because he was previously a quarterback himself. And so re- that, that's going to be the bigger thing for, for Eugene Asante is being able to replace that because – um, yeah, they, they did get up some run yardage last year, but he was kind of the, uh, Chad Surratt was acting as the kind of the cleaner, right? Um, he's the guy that based on alignments and kind of the hybrid things they do, he was able to clean up the messes where those, you know, eight or 10 yard gains didn't turn into 40 or 50 yard gains. He's making all those tackles just beyond a lot of scrimmage, but he was also versatile enough, um, you know, to get in the backfield and, and cause some havoc there as well. Um, Asante is a very gifted athlete and a good tackler. I don't think he's going to have a huge problem stepping into that role. The The, the question's going to be is that does he have enough experience between what he had last year and spring and now fall camp to kind of step into that quarterback role of the defense because that's going to be just as important as those physical abilities. Yeah, and that's going to be maybe the big – that's probably going to be less – that's probably – not less. That's probably where we're going to see it more. Is because with Surratt, you, you said something to me that caught my ear this week when we were talking about Chaz Surratt. With Chaz Surratt, everybody was going to be exactly where they needed to be, and he was going to be going to clean up. Yep. Being the cleaner. You just said it a few minutes ago, being the cleaner. The thing is, if the guys aren't in the right place – it's a hell of a lot tougher for the cleaner to go in there and clean it up if three guys are out of slime versus nobody out of line. And it's very true. I think that's the big piece. Now, I think where it does benefit is he did get to see Surratt do it last year in a way. Um, but, you know, l- let me ask, let me ask this. How good's he going to have to be? Because I think the way me and you feel about it, is Tay Robinson, James Mitchell are going to be coming over that middle and attacking a real – the weakness of the safeties and then the inexperience of one of the linebackers. Yeah, and I'll, I'll talk about this a little more when we get to the cornerbacks here in a little bit, but um, it's going to be very important uh, because I feel like the, the game plan we're going to come in with is run the football, work the slot, work the, work the seam, uh, work the 
uh, digs. We're going to put pressure on the middle part of that defense um, because we're going to try to get more guys in the box, and we're going to try to get a little bit more cushion on the outside so we can start working some of our receivers with uh, with uh, without as much pressure on them because they are going to be physical as hell at the line of scrimmage at the cornerback position. And the guy he is talking about is going to be physical as hell is stormed up 6'1", 205, guy that in 2019 really came into the spotlight, only played a few games last year, um, got injured, but he's back this year. And then obviously, if you're a Hokie fan, it is someone that needs absolutely no introduction to you, the five-star 20 grounds out of the 7-5, who essentially got out of high school quick, got to Carolina quick, played last year. Yep. What do you think for those two guys, Brian? Well, looking at their depth chart, Grimes locked up the number one cornerback position, which is impressive for a guy that, as of this point, at, at the earliest, he would, he should have been on campus um, in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, ended up being on campus last year in the fall. Got a full year out of it uh, in terms of playing on the field. And now he's really stepped into a role there where he is the alpha dog in that secondary. Uh, but there's a couple other guys that I think in terms of physicality are probably a little more physical than he is. And that's, you already mentioned Storm Duck, but also Kyler McMichael. Um, they're kind of the, the, the two A and two B at that other cornerback side. And, you know, we, we've known about Duck. The question with him is going to be, can he return physically to the level of play he was at in 2019? And, but McMichael got a lot of run last year and he showed that he was, he was physical. He's got some holes in his game in terms of, uh, occasionally let some of the guys get behind him. But he will hit you at the line of scrimmage, jam you up, make sure you can't get to the spot in your route you want to get to. So, Brian, let me ask this real quick. Well, let's answer that question first because it makes sense of what we're talking about here with Duck and Grimes. Brian, do you think a wide receiver is going to go over a 1,000 yards? That's our boy Tally shouting out, and we're going to consider James Mitchell on that too. Can we go over 100 yards against this team? Can somebody? I think we're going to struggle to go over 100 yards, especially if we are not able to establish a run early in the game. Um, how, how well we're able to pass the ball is going to be predicated on the fact that we're able to efficiently gash them in the running game and do it early, unlike last year where we essentially took a quarter and a half to get going in the run game. We need to come out and we need to get some yards against them quick where they're going to have to commit another safety into the box and they're going to have to start backing off coverage a little bit um, at the cornerback position. Yep, and, and and that's a big key, right? It's a big key. That, that's a big key because – I. A lot of what we do, we don't just line up and run past guys, right? Like that, no, that's, we don't. We're that, scheming. That's not our game. Yeah, we, we, we scheme guys open. Um, you know, we run some misdirection, then run a guy on a cross-country route like we did with uh, Tay Robinson against Clemson um, last year. You know, there's a lot of plays like that. If we're going to generate big plays, it's not, okay, well, Trey's running a go. Like, that, that, that has yeah, never been our idea. game, so – and we're, I think we're going to struggle if we can't get get out of some of that. 
So kind of what you're saying is get the get the run game going consistently, probably outside inside zone with some jet sweeps. They're eight plus yards of carry. Pop Mitchell Tay over the middle in hopefully a variety of ways, maybe some inside screens. Some screens, maybe some, some outs, some digs, uh, maybe you, you a, want, a seam or a, or a post to, to James Mitchell. You want those safeties somewhere between 10 to 15. You don't want them sitting 15, 20 or further. Because if they're sitting 10 to 15 and we're popping them over and over, eventually your hope is Trey or Tay or Jaden, they missed the jam. There's no safety support. And we go over the top where now, now Jay Bateman got to make a decision, right? Yep. Jay Bateman. And I mean, make- you know, you know, you're going to see some jet sweep. There's going to be jet sweeps. <laughs> and, and with the guys we have, it can now be- I'll say this: I think a wide receiver might go over a hundred all-purpose yards. I, I'd be willing Ooh. to take that bet. I'll be, I'll be damn sure willing to take that bet. But saying over a hundred is going to depend on how well we come out the gate, running the ball and working the. Uh, underneath game inside the the numbers. So, you know, we're kind of laying out here what things that we need to do, folks, and we're hoping you guys are seeing it. And some of you have already went ahead, clicked the mic at boundarycornervt.com, and gave us your predictions for this game. Some thoughts from the Terradome. So, before me and Brian give our predictions, we're going to hear yours. Hey, this is Truett. Um, uh, my prediction for the Virginia Tech-North Carolina game on Friday is uh, obviously Virginia Tech's going to win. And um, I'm thinking we're going to win, you know, uh, I saw it like 35 to 24. I think we're going to win by a couple of scores. Just um, got a good feeling about it. Uh, Virginia Tech's definitely going to win it. Go Hokies. North Carolina's going to win this game. 38 to 28 is my prediction. I think we make things interesting in the first half, but I think second half, North Carolina steps up, makes plays, and makes more plays than us. So having Sam Howe in the backfield, is going to be the other difference because our historically bad second half defense is going to give up just too many big plays and having lack of depth on the defensive line is not going to help either. But I think North Carolina is going to make too many big plays for us to stop and win this game. Also, another safe prediction is Braxton Burmeister over nine and a half rushes and over two and a half. Jet sweeps easily take those overs. <laughs> Hokies win sixty nine to zero. Go Hokies. Thirty four twenty eight UNC. All right, so we got four predictions that came through there. We got two for the Hokies, two for the Tar Heels. Um, scores seem to be kind of around that upper twenties, low to mid thirties range. What are you talking about? Sixty nine nothing. Well, I mean, are we counting that one in terms of a realistic outcome, yes, or is that are. just? Yes, we are. Yes. Shout are. out, Jeremy Hokey Pharmacist. If you if you've ever heard him talk, you know it's him. If you heard our episode you back in December, you know that's him minus Jameson. 
We're with Jameson. Who knows at this time? All right. So it's time to give our predictions. And I'm going to leave, Brian. All right. And the last time we saw the Hokies, they won 33-15 over UVA to regain the Commonwealth Cup. A few games before that, in a semi-drunken rage after Liberty, I screamed we should fire the coach. I still believe he should have been fired. I do. That's just my feelings on it. But he's our coach this year, and we support him. I got this in the mail the other day, folks. You probably did, too. And I'm seeing this game. Shout out, Brian Wilkerson. UNC does suck. I'm correct, sir. <laughs> I am seeing this game similar to West Virginia, Virginia Tech, back in 2017. Okay, go on. It is going to be a close game. It is going to be a nail-biter. It is literally going to come down at the end of the game, the Hokie defense versus Sam Howell versus a Heisman candidate, higher-ranked team. And I'm going to say, similar to what happened to Will Greer, happens to Sam Howell. Hokies win 38-31. All right. You put yours in there. I'm going to put my name on this one. Um I see a very similar game to the regulation portion of 2019. Injury, quarterback injuries and all that shit aside. Um, I, I think it's one of those games that we're, we're going to have a lead at one point in this game. They're going to have a lead at one point in this game. It's going to be a little bit of back and forth. Uh, the difference I see is that I think Sam Howell, with a little more seasoning, gets it done in the fourth quarter. I think it's going to be a 38-34 victory for the Tar Heels. All right, so write both of those down, folks. We did not waver from last week's season predictions on this game. Brian did go with UNC. I did go with Virginia Tech. Now, Brian, I'm going to ask you real quick, because you're a Hokie fan. and Yes, I am. I know your head told you UNC. Your heart is telling you the Hokies. And for you, because you have the experience of playing collegiate football, coaching high school football, what has to happen in your mind to change your mind to your heart pick and for the Hokies to win this game? So to me, it's two things. We need, I already talked about a little bit. We need to establish the run and work the short passing game between those numbers early, get them kind of out of what they want to do on defense, especially against our wide receivers. Uh, on the other side of the ball, the big thing we need to do, B-gap, B-gap, stop the damn run. If we can get them where we can contain that running game, a one-dimensional Sam Howell is a – you don't want it, but it's a whole lot more desirable. I'd, I'd rather Sam Howell drop back 45 times than have to deal with an RPO all damn night. Damn right. You're damn right. If, if that run game is stopped flat, if we stop that run game 75% from the 100% it was last year, I think that's a W, along with some better offensive play calling at certain times. Yeah. But I'm not going to digress anymore about that. <laughs> so, folks, we have it on paper. Brian's giving you his head pick. He gives you his heart pick, what he thinks has to happen. He'll give you my pick, 38-31. But we aren't done yet tonight, folks. As always, you know, <laughs> T double thirty eight thirty four UNC. You're fired now. Nah. Uh, I, I, I can't take them every game. Yeah, I, I want to. You know, I want to. <laughs> well, 
Well, by all means, if, if Brian sees things breaking early, I think you need to be checking out the BC and his Twitter feed on Friday night. He's probably going to be putting it's going the right direction. Because I think, Brian, you also told me if we win this game, you think we're going to break 40, right? I, th- I think we're probably going to have to break 40. I think Sam Howell, even, even with an improved hokey defense this year, I think he's going to be hitting somewhere in the mid-30s. Um, I, th- I think they're just going to be that efficient, even with – some of the rust from breaking in new players and having a couple guys out and losing all that production. I think there's still going to be a potent offense. Um, the question is going to be is, are they, are they putting up those points while trailing us? And th- that that's in our favor. Gotcha. If they're, if they're playing catch up, that's in our favor. All right. Well, folks, let's jump off the hoagies and let's look at the full collegiate landscape. We're going to be picking 10 games here. And man, just looking tomorrow night, you know, it's, it's, it starts. Man Cave will be in full effect tomorrow night. Ohio State plays Minnesota, USF, NC State, Boise, UCF. I mean, it is a fully loaded Thursday night with some good games. Um, you know, certain guy up at Minnesota is, uh, some people say he should come here next. I don't know how that works, but uh, we'll see. We're not going to pick <laughs> that game. Just because Minnesota is not ranked, but we are going to pick some ACC games. Brian, let's start with NC State minus eighteen and a half against uh, South Florida with an over under of fifty nine. Um, I'm gonna jump on this one first, Brian. Go I'm for actually it. gonna take USF. I'm gonna get, give me the eighteen and a half points. Okay, okay. I, I don't think USF is going to get probably to twenty points. I, I don't foresee that. But I don't see NC State getting much more than 30. I think NC State wins the game in hand. I think it's never in doubt. But I think 18 and a half is way too much to lay on this. So give me USF. What about you? What are you doing with those points? I think NC State's going to cover. Um, I, I, I like what they're bringing to the table this year. I think um, having a little more stability on the offense, they're going to be a much more balanced offensive attack this year. And – I think they're going to probably get into the upper 30s, low 40s, and I think that's going to be just enough to get probably about a 20-point victory there. 20-point victory. That is on tomorrow night, folks. Um, Check it out. Even though we're not playing NC State this year, um, keep an eye. Keep an eye on your ACC team. Oh, Tally says NC State's going to run all over them. Tally, if you can hear me, are you taking or laying the points with NC State? And what I'm going to do here – is I'm going to move to the next one. If we get Tally's responsible, we'll, we'll include it. All right, Brian. Duke is laying six points against UNC Charlotte. Will Healy, a name we've heard a lot of, over under 60 and a half. Who are you taking with the points, big guy? Duke, but barely. I, I, I think that's going to be uh, barely. Yeah, I, I think that's a touchdown game. I'm with you on that. I think it is too. I don't think UNC Charlotte's there yet, even though Duke is dreadful. Um, you know, I think they figure out a way to win seven to ten points. Um, the sixty and a half, I feel like that's way too low. You, we saw UNC Charlotte last year, and we've seen Duke's defense. I think that might be a, the play might actually not to be on the line because it could be that you know Duke wins by four points because you know they block a field goal or something. 
But I think 16 and a half is not the number there to go with. I, w- I would look at the over-under. Oh, laying the 18 and a half. All right. Write that down. I'm with him. Tally's on <laughs> MGM. Lighten it up. All right, let's roll on to another ACC game on Saturday. Syracuse is laying two points against Ohio. Syracuse you is going to look at it. Huh? You leave me this one? Dude, I'm, I'm with what you've got written down here already. Give me Ohio. Give me outright. So I'm going to take those points. <laughs> let's go. Yeah, Ohio winning outright. Lock it the hell up. Yes. Because, I mean, uh, I mean, Ohio is always a good MAC program. And I know the head coach, Frank Solich, just left a few years ago, or just left earlier this year. He always had a good program. They always, even when they played the bigger teams, they always dog fought. Now you're going to put a bad uh, Power 5 team in there. That team's going to win. By the way, biggest mistake Nebraska ever made, firing Frank Solich 20-plus years ago. Biggest mistake they ever made. Crush this. All right, let's go back and look at a pretty big matchup on Sunday. We have Sunday football, folks. Seven thirty. I think it's going to be on ABC. Notre Dame, FSU. Notre Dame is laying seven and a half. Brian, what do you think on this one? This is the one that I wasn't sure where I wanted to go. I'm, I'm, I still don't trust, trust Notre Dame. So what I'm going with here is that this is the first chance for what is probably a very middle of the pack FSU team to essentially play the game of their life. Okay. Out the gate. And I think, I think they keep it close enough. I don't think they went out right, but I think it's like a six point game. So, okay. I, not so fast, man. Um, this, we, we discussed it with, we discussed with Brett just a few days ago about, although Notre Dame is replacing some talent on offense, that defense is nasty. It is. And, and if we saw FSU last year, they, they, they just don't, they don't, other than playing Carolina, they did not look right the rest of the year. I think seven and a half is too low. I think this is somewhere between a 14 to 17 point game because personally, I don't think FSU is going to get to 17. I think eventually it's the old, your defense is athletic, but eventually a team that has Chris Tyree, um, and even though Jack's Cone, Jack Cone is not as mobile as Ian Book, once Chris Tyree peppers that middle of the line enough, they're going to take some shots and they're going to hit. So give me the Irish, lay the seven and a half points, folks. All right, Brian, if we're crazy enough, after probably watching somewhere in the neighborhood in the next four days, I'm going to give our over under 30 hours of football. Yeah. 30. That sounds about right. Probably four hours tomorrow night. There will hours. be mass mass consumption of the, the college footballs over the next. If we can. Four or make, five days. Exactly. If we can make it to Monday night, eight o'clock kick, Louisville Ole Miss. All right. You led the last one. I'm leading this one. Lane Kiffin likes to score points. 75 and a half is not enough. If that guy can put 50 plus point on a Nick Saban defense, he is going to shred Scott Shatterfield's defense in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. 10 points is not enough. You think of the amount of talent that Louisville had on offense last year. Tutu Atwell's in the NFL. The running backs in the NFL. 
They're not bringing anybody back. We saw last year with Virginia Tech's offense that we could put 40 on them without blinking, load it up, take the over. I think this game is going to be somewhere like 56-30. And that sounds right. Ole Miss easily, easily covered it. Yeah, give me Ole Miss with both barrels, man. Lane Kiffin's going to run it up. <laughs> That's what Lane does. Unless he doesn't, he gets fired on tarmac. <laughs> All right. <Ouch. laughs> All right, let's jump over to the Big Ten for a second because they've got a couple big matchups this week, and the, the biggest one is the Wisconsin-Penn State game in Madison at Camp Randall. Let's jump around a little bit. Over under 50, Wisconsin is laying five and a half, Ryan. What do you think on this one? Uh, this is another one I struggled with when I was looking at the line, but I think Whiskey's going to get a get a touchdown victory here. Um, I'm I'm still I'm a little unshaky. I'm, I'm a little shaky with what Wisconsin's bringing to the table this year, but I think they've got enough playing at home to, to, to pull out a seven point victory over Penn State. All right, I do think Wisconsin's going to win this game, but I, I think five and a half is too much. I think this is truly more like a pick. I think this is literally going to be a field goal game. Um, I think Wisconsin does win because of the home field advantage. Um, so give me Penn State. I am going to take the points there. Um, I think that's going to be a hell of a way to kick off noon, regardless what happens Friday night. And this is one thing I like about playing Friday night, even as, as bad as it could be, and we've dealt with as bad as it could be, because it ain't going to ever get worse than 2019. You can compartmentalize it. You can put it away. You can wake up. You can eat a good breakfast. Whether you make it yourself or me, calling the uh, calling boy chucks and getting some biscuits and gravy sent over to the house. Shout out! Shout out! <laughs> Great biscuits and gravy. You can eat that. You can cut on game day. Have a beer, and then get into college football. So great one. Now Brian. Let's go down to Louisiana Lafayette with Billy Napier against Texas, newly hired Steve Sarkeesian. Texas going to the SEC in a few years. Billy Napier stayed at Louisiana Lafayette when he was probably literally the hottest coaching candidate last year. Let's hit Billy Napier real quick before we jump into this game. If Billy Napier goes 9-3 and this year down at Lafayette, and let's say we don't have a great season, <laughs> Would you want a redo of a Billy Napier, of a G5 coach having success at a program not normally that successful? Okay. Be um, that's the big question right now. I, I, I don't think I wouldn't. It would have to be the right candidate for me personally. And if okay. if Napier has that type of season, I might feel that way. I would prefer a more seasoned P5 coordinator if we ended up having to go that route. All right. I'm, uh, I'm that, feeling you. I'm feeling you. I want that route, too, if it happens. The one upside to Napier I'll say is this. Napier has a more regional feel with us, the Clemson ties. He has that mid-Atlantic feel versus where Foo was Tennessee coming from Texas. That's the only thing. But I'm but I'm 100% with you. I, I think you can't go the same route twice. 
And uh, it's it a happens, hard sell for a fan base that by that point is reaching borderline apathy. Yeah. All right. So let's go to the game. Texas is laying eight. Sam Ellinger's in your Colts. So this quarterback's gone. Clark's in with the new system. I can't see them winning this game by more than like five. I think this is going to be an absolute dogfight because we see how Napier's team plays. I know Sark is an offensive mind, yep. but Sark stop as a head coach have been less than impressive. I think it's a dogfight. I think it's going to be probably one of the funnest games of the day. Texas probably wins this game, but Louis, ULL keeps it super close. I tell you what you're going to see a lot of. You're going to see a lot of really good drives followed by a handful of three and outs. Because, <laughs> because there, there's going to be some growing pains, uh, with that new offense. There's also going to be a fairly, I'd say, so at least athletically talented Texas defense. Lafayette's probably going to have some of those drives where they just can't get anything going, but there's going to be more where they, where they're able to move the ball. And I think Texas might squeak this one out, but I got Lafayette in terms of the spread. All right, so we're agreeing on this one too, folks. It's Again, this is what usually happens. <laughs> I mean, it is. When you have a good G- G5 team, A, they get to say we're going against the world, we're going against Big Bad Texas, and you've got Texas learning something new with Sark. Um, I, think, I think it's going to be a close. I think it's going to be one of the most entertaining games of the day. All right, let's go back to the Big Ten. Another big matchup there, 17 versus 18. Indiana coming off probably its best season since 1993. Um, go back. We beat them that year in the the, uh, the Independence Bowl versus Iowa. Kurt Brent, Steady Eddie, never out of the top 25. Iowa is laying three and a half. Um, Brian, you lead this one, buddy. <sighs> I think Indiana pulls this one out right. I know it's pretty much a pick 'em, um, you know, just outside of that normal range. Um, I just like the energy that their coach brings to the table. I like the the returning pieces that they have on their offense. So I think they get it done. All right. All right I'm going to say nothing so fast on this one. If Pennix wasn't coming off an injury, I might lean. But having to go to Kinnick, Kinnick is a stadium that somehow always – Anytime they play a good opponent, somehow Iowa always comes out on top. Um, you're getting the points. I'm going to lay the points. I think it's a touchdown game. I think literally it's going to be right on like the number. Like, you know, it's a 46 over under. It's a 46 over under. So you're looking at something like a 21, somewhere. It's going to, I will lay three and a half with Iowa to win by yeah. like seven, 21, 28. Somewhere in that room. The, the over under feels a little low for me. I think they'll they'll both be in kind of the upper twenties in the score. But I, if if that was like fifty one, I think I'd I'd be like okay, that that, that that's where I would question it. But forty six, I would definitely uh, hammer the over there. Well, I mean, I would say that Brian, but then you know I go look at Iowa's totals for last year, yeah. and it was like twenty four, twenty one. They blew out Minnesota by 35, 26, 35, 28. 
there's nothing there that like pops you that says like they they're gonna hit fifty easy. So I think you're right. If it's fifty, you might would jump on it, but this number, like, man, nah, don't do that. All right, man. Let's get to the two biggest games of the weekend, other than the Hokies. Let's go to Atlanta, man. And it's the U against Alabama. And Alabama is laying, this is an asinine number to me, especially with all they lost. Alabama's yep. like 19 and a half. Yeah, this this one's crazy. Um, I mean, I got this one just being a, a, a close one. Um, I've, I've got this like a one score, maybe a 10-point game. Um, so I'm definitely taking Miami here. Um, I think Derek King with another year in that offense, if he's good to go health-wise and can play that whole game, they're going to be there right till the end. I'm with you. I think 19 and a half is way too much late. And even if the Eric King isn't 100% yet, I think Lashley can keep it off balanced enough to get to probably the mid twenties against Alabama. Yeah. But I think it's more of Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz is a damn good defensive coordinator. He's a damn good defensive coach. You got Bryce Young as a essentially a redshirt freshman starting. Bryce Young was a five star. He was an all caliber type guy. And we don't know who he's throwing to because Devonta Smith is gone. Najee Harris, he ain't handing the ball off to them. Yep. You know, you know, they got guys. Are they going to be gelled enough? Are they going to, is there going to be some growing pains? That's with it. That? Right Especially on the offensive side of the ball. Defense, you know, they're probably going to be able to step in and, and, and be good. as stout as usual. Might um, half is too much. I think, yeah. I think what you say is they're right there to the end. I think Alabama finds scoring. I think it's, I think it's somewhere like 38-30. I think it's going to be a really entertaining game in the afternoon because I think Miami's defense will keep them in it long enough. Um, I just don't think they'll close the door. Yeah. I was thinking like four, somewhere like 42-33, 42-35 was kind of where I was heading. Somewhere between, are you, somewhere are you, between eight and 10. Are you, no, let me ask this. Are you seeing this as more of a back and forth? Or are you seeing this more like an Oklahoma? Alabama bowl game where Bama jumped out quick like 17, but with Kyler Murray, essentially a, a, you get the dollar store version of a Kyler Murray and De'Aaron King where they're going to start finding pieces. I think it's going to be the other way around. I think some of the growing pains, I think Miami's going to jump out on them being the more experienced team with so much returning talent. And then Bama's going to claw their way back in it as they kind of settle in and then take the lead. Um, probably, you know, just before the turn into the fourth quarter. And then it's kind of a, kind of an arm's length run to the, to the buzzer there. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the last one, the big game Saturday night in Charlotte. Uga versus Clemson. Clemson's laying three. This is an over under of 51. Clemson obviously lost Trevor Lawrence. Uga has lost quite a few guys in their camp. Brian, I'm going to lead this one off, man, and I'm going to tell you what. I don't think JT Daniels is going to know what hits him with the way that Clemson <laughs> defense is. I think it's okay. going to be a good game, but I think Clemson is going to win by 10 points because I don't think George is going to get to 20. Okay. So, okay. Clemson, I'll lay the three. I've, I've got the Bulldogs squeaking one out. 
All right. Squeak, so squeaking it out. You're taking three and they're winning. Yep. All right. All right. So write that one down. I, I think the veteran quarterback gets gets it done. And that that's that's really the difference maker for me. All righty. Well, Brian. Um, other than we got a five star punter today, is there any other news? <laughs> uh, nothing big that I can see right now, buddy. I think we're good to roll on. All right. Well, folks, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at BoundaryCornerBT.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, do not forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe on YouTube. Also, for your podcast listening, Spotify, Amazon, Apple. And if you're looking to join the Hokie Club and help to achieve the reach for excellence, Please visit our BoundaryCornerBT.com forward slash giving to get started. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. After the game on Friday night, if you're over in Roanoke, check him out at the Grand Farmers Market in Roanoke from 8 o'clock to 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Check him out on Spotify and Apple Music. And as always, let's go. Hokies.